It's our 21st year of the Women's Retreat at IMS. I'm really happy to say, also to say how delighted I am. I think we are always to be here. So many familiar faces. Welcome back. To those of you who are new, I hope you feel really at home in this retreat and in this center. You know, more than once, the Buddha was heard to say that this path is lovely in the beginning, it's lovely in the middle, and it's lovely in the end. I've always found these lines to be incredibly heartening, and I also remember early years of my own practice when I found them quite puzzling. I'm sure many of you who've done retreats before would say, and quite accurately, that this is, doesn't seem to be intrinsically true that you may have had retreats that indeed seemed rather miserable in the beginning and kind of hard work in the middle, and what a relief in the end. (laughs) But for this to be true, for this path and this practice to be lovely in the beginning and in the middle and in the end, I think it's really helpful to reflect upon what would be needed in our own practice for that to be true. What would be needed in our own way of being here for that to be so. To be lovely in the beginning. First, I think we begin with a sense of remembering why we are here. The great encouragement in this tradition and in this teaching is that it is really a path of aspiration. We don't do this to suffer. We don't do this to remain exactly the same. We don't do this practice in order to remain unchanged and untouched. It is a path of aspiration, of really reaching for and exploring what is possible for us. The whole of this teaching, the whole of this tradition, is actually built upon a sense of possibility. You know, over and over again in this teaching, What is spoken about are the possibilities of very profound awakening, very profound peace of compassion, of freedom, of intimacy. And when these qualities, these possibilities are spoken of over and over again, they're not spoken of as if they're the territory of somebody else. You know, the person who sits beside you or, you know, the person who walks like a Buddha. Everybody else but not me. They are spoken about very directly to each one of us. Many people say when they practice that walking on this path, cultivating this practice, 
that it's not like entering some foreign country or some alien landscape. I think the the very reason why this practice and this path speaks so directly to many people is because it builds upon what we have already glimpsed in our life. It builds upon the moments of of wakefulness, the moments of loving-kindness, the moments of, of compassion, the moments of insight that are not strangers to any of us. Moments in our life that actually have had, really, I think, a very profound effect upon our hearts, upon our minds, upon our ways of seeing. And yet very often these moments have felt like... Um, fleeting moments. They have felt almost to be accidental glimpses that we have stumbled across. But the practice actually builds upon those moments, questioning whether they really have to be so random, whether they really have to be so accidental, uh, or whether those glimpses of peace, those glimpses of calmness, those glimpses of simplicity, of clarity, whether they are ways of being that can be far more prevailing and far more deeply rooted in our life. I think it is why when many people, many of us come on retreat or come into this practice, it almost has a sense of coming home. We are remembering those glimpses. We're remembering something too important to forget. A piece of a poem that we've actually read to you many times, I want to revisit. That you're trying to remember something too important to forget. Trees, the monastery bell at twilight. You have a new project, it will never be finished. Walk around feeling like a leaf, knowing you could tumble any second. Then decide what to do with your time. The word in Pali for meditation is bhavana. And bhavana means to bring into being. Sometimes I almost have a a sort of slight allergy to this word meditation or some of the associations that are attached to it because so often meditation is viewed as this rather passive exercise, you know, that we will sit around and watch things. But actually we don't. Meditation in in the sense of bhavana is a very much more engaged participation in the moment. It's not watching things. It is being aware of what we are bringing into being. Now, it seems to me that in every moment of our life, we are actually bringing something into being, whether that is conscious or whether it is unconscious. And perhaps it's clear that when we live in a more unconscious or asleep way in our life, Often what we bring into being time and time again are some of the old and tired habits of a lifetime. 
the old and tired reactions, the old and tired perceptions, the old and tired views. And yet when we are engaging more consciously in our life, engaging more consciously in the moment, we are also bringing something into being. And so practice then is actually a path of cultivation. It is a path of being aware of what we are bringing into being in this moment and what we are endeavoring to bring into being is a deeper sense of connectedness, of freedom, of compassion, of wisdom, all that has been spoken of as our possibilities. Now, for this practice to be lovely in the beginning, this has something to do with our attitude. The attitude that we begin with is actually deeply important. The attitude that we start with this evening is deeply important. We can begin a retreat feeling very weary as if this is a time now to recover from our life. And yet, that often means a very slow start because recovering from our life can feel like we need several more lives to do that in. But when we begin as if feeling like we need to reserve this time to recover, it can almost feel a way of kind of holding ourselves back a little bit in the practice. Or as if, you know, we'll start a little bit later once we've recovered. But to me, one of the great, perhaps one of the most beneficial attitudes to have in meditation is a sense of being finding the willingness to give ourselves very fully to the practice. To give ourselves very fully to being present. To give ourselves very fully to the retreat, to the moment. It's almost that wholeheartedness, that way of giving ourselves, is, is so critical, so helpful in, in removing that sense of, you know, I'm, I'm just waiting to get started. We're here. We have started. We have begun. There's also the attitude which is not so helpful of starting a retreat with a lot of ambition, a lot of expectations, as if it's some kind of test or a mountain to climb then we will make ourselves weary very quickly. I think for this practice to be lovely in the beginning, there is another attitude which is very helpful, very important, an attitude of patience, an attitude of listening, of willingness to learn, of dedication. Then every moment can be a beginning that is lovely. For the practice to be lovely in the middle, well, it can be. Because as we really bring that sense of dedication and exploration and questioning, we actually really do begin to taste deeper levels of calmness, of peace, of clarity. And they're not accidents. 
that deepening and, and enriching is really being born of our own dedication, our own efforts. And that is so crucial because our confidence deepens. Our confidence in ourself, our confidence in our practice, our confidence in our capacity to awaken really deepens through those efforts. And I think often in the middle of practice, we see that this movement from having to make a lot of effort to be present to that becoming more natural, to becoming more effortless, (coughs) mostly because we really discover the joy and the happiness of being awake. And that's why we're here, to discover the joy and the happiness of being truly awake in our life. And as we discover that, we sense that our world opens just a little bit more. We see more deeply, hear more deeply. There's a richer quality to the moments in our life. And we feel ourselves in that middle to be very much more at home in our bodies, our minds, and the world. And we find that commitment, that perseverance, to be not dissuaded to be not dissuaded from what we most deeply value. The practice is lovely in the end. But I think it is also important to remember that the end, the loveliness of the end, is very much related to both the middle and the beginning. For myself, I am always awed and humbled and touched in retreats, really to, say how, to see how really little time, in a way how little dedication it takes for us to make some very profound shifts inwardly. How really very little time, how in a sense little time of attention it takes to move from a place of conflict to clarity to move from agitation to peace, to move from a sense of being governed and imprisoned by things to a greater sense of freedom. And this is not magical. It is born of our own willingness and our own dedication. Mindfulness is really not complicated, and this practice is not complicated, but it is powerful. Because we see that the real power of mindfulness is that it illuminates what is. And it also illuminates what is possible. In each moment, that illumination really is the power of mindfulness. So I wish you a most wonderful retreat that is lovely in the beginning and the middle and the end. Well, actually, ditto. but I will say a little more. <laughs> um, it's wonderful to be here, 
and it's wonderful to see your dear and familiar faces. And um, those of you whom we don't know, it'll be great to get to know you during the week. Um, first of all, I would just like to introduce to my right, uh, to my, my way right, Linda, who is graciously here uh, from Vancouver and will be offering interviews and um, this and that during the week. And um, Maddie, who is going to be our practice leader and um, will be leading some sittings during the week. So we're really, really um, appreciative, to put it mildly, of both, both of you. Um, I'd like to just very much encourage everyone to begin this retreat with a great sense of confidence and of self-trust. Oftentimes we begin a retreat and we don't quite always know whether we're up to it. And to begin with a sense of confidence and self-trust means, in a traditional way of putting it, taking refuge in the Buddha. We really do take a huge leap in this practice away from our inbred belief in original sin to a confidence in our inner goodness So can we begin this retreat from that place of confidence, of sensing that we're simply uncovering what is? We're not making or concocting or creating anything. We're not making something up. We're simply touching what already is, the heart that is already free, already radiant. So... At times when this doesn't seem to be so, to remember that it's possible to take refuge in the inner sense of of Buddhahood, um, inner sense of of freedom. To take refuge as well in what is traditionally or classically called the Dharma, meaning, of course, the truth of things, and What this means is remembering that we can find a sense of refuge in the here and now. Now, just looking at how much we lull around in the past and the future, that which is not occurring right here and now. And knowing that from moment to moment, it's possible to know where we are. That sense of reality is so liberating, even when it's difficult. Because it's true. Taking refuge in the here and now, also another way of putting this, is taking refuge in awareness. Remembering that it's possible to take refuge in our capacity to be aware. And we're in an environment that is enormously supportive. In this environment, it's hard to absorb into the usual things that we try to absorb into because this is an an environment of great simplicity and of silence. And so the environment itself itself, and the community that we find ourselves in is a really big encouragement to us. It's an ideal environment because we aren't having to be caught up with our usual kinds of responsibilities, which makes us free to be able to respond 
with awareness, to notice our reactions and respond instead with awareness. In this environment, because of its simplicity and because of the nourishing of silence, we can see our habits more clearly. They're actually highlighted. And we can think that they're new and different and worse, when in actuality, it's the way things always are in our life. I think it just helps so much to see retreats in this way, because it happens to be true, it's not just positive thinking, that retreats are really a microcosm of our life. Each sitting, each walking is a microcosm of our life. And so we can see the habits, the difficulties, the discomfort, the inner sense of angst or whatever it might be in any moment. It's not that it's different just because it's happening here. The environment being here, though, helps so much because we're not able to absorb into what we try to absorb into to get away from seeing things clearly. Yeah. In other words, we try to move away in a million different ways um, in our daily life oftentimes. And here, there's nothing to do. Yeah? There's, there's, this is a building of cushions. Um, <laughs> that's the only, um, only thing that there is. There's, there's no movie theater or, um, you know, there's, there's food, but it's, it's minimal. And it only happens a, a few times a day. I uh, can't go in for snacks or, or this or that. Um, you know, the, the ways that we try to find lasting happiness out of that which is impermanent becomes ever more clear to us. And this actually, even though it doesn't feel comfortable at times, is a wonderful thing because it allows us to look where happiness really does lie. In other words, it allows us to over and over again look within. And this is something that um, teachers have said, uh, masters have said, beings have said for eons that happiness lies within. And it sounds like a cliche, which of course it is, and it sounds like a rumor, you know, something that, that we've heard from others that isn't maybe true for us. But in this environment with nothing else to do anyway, you know, good time to go within over and over again, to look inside you know, to take refuge within with whatever it is that is occurring. As we know, there are ups and downs in any retreat. And we can remember that both the ups and the downs are our practice. We can learn and nourish a sense of inner steadiness in the, in the actuality of both the ups and the downs. The idea of a retreat can be either daunting or exciting. We can feel somewhat daunted by the idea of moment after moment, day after day, of a room of just cushions. Or we can feel excited based on our past experiences that something unusual may happen. What is important to remember is that retreats happen one moment at a time. It's just this. Over and over again, it's just this. So can we bring a fresh mind and open heart to whatever our experience is? Encouraging an inner environment of receptivity and of peacefulness and 
of inner kindness and self-affection. Can we sense this within ourselves, within this field of inner goodness, trusting this inner goodness? We also take refuge in what is called the Sangha or community. And this is the third way of taking refuge. All of us contribute to an environment, an atmosphere of trust in this community, in this environment. And so we take on the guidelines that um, we take on in a natural way in life anyway. These guidelines, of course, in this environment are somewhat easier than in our usual complex daily life. And at the same time, um, to be sensitive and aware of these guidelines, these precepts, refraining from destroying life of any form whatsoever, no matter how small. And the other side of this, of course, is the practice of compassion, supporting life, encouraging life in whatever way. The next is to refrain from taking that which doesn't belong to us, and so practicing generosity. The third is to refrain from sexual harm, so using our sexual energies in ways that pull others in or are harmful in any way. And this means actually taking responsibility in all of our relationships, taking responsibility for our sexual energies. In this environment, of course, as most everybody knows, the precept is actually that of celibacy. And the reason for this is simply so that we can be on our own a bit more, you know, touch an inner sense of silence by being on our own a bit more. The next one is uh, wise and um, truthful speech. So not speaking in ways that are untruthful or unkind. And speaking in the very small situations when you will be speaking in ways that are kind and are truthful. But of course, we mostly get a big break from this because the big precept here is that of silence. So really appreciating and encouraging oneself not to speak, especially if you've come with others, to know that we're helping ourselves and we're helping others by refraining from talking, from chatting. This is a case of the outer helping the inner. In other words, all of us contributing to outer silence helps an inner sense of silence as well. And in the meditative practice, we do allow ourselves more and more to touch an inner sense of silence. So in the spirit of this, the idea is definitely not to read, to be on one own, one's own and to read yourself rather than to read books, to um, not make, um, um, to not write, you know, to refrain from writing, and also um, to refrain from phone calls. And I really plea with you about um, cell phones. Now, the, the phone, there's one phone here, and it's way downstairs, and it's very visible, and everybody can hear you, and it's, it's not that much fun to have a chat on it. But the cell phone phenomena is, um, is really something to be extremely mindful of. I would encourage you, if you brought a cell phone, to try to put it somewhere where you can't find it. You know, try to lose it for the week. 
And also to be aware that if you have decided that you're not going to talk on it, but you're just going to check your messages, <laughs> which some people have decided, um, that it really agitates the mind. It brings one into something that is not necessary, and it gets the mind going, and it's kind of in opposition to what we're doing here. And also, please be aware that if you're checking your messages, other people are likely to be able to hear you. They actually make more noise than one would think. So even if you're doing it like under the covers and you know very covertly, um, yogis have astute hearing. Um, and so it can often be heard. So please be aware of this as well. Really, really um, encourage the renunciation of cell phone use during this time. And the last has to do with intoxicants, with alcohol and, and drugs, other than, um, of course, prescribed medication, which in this environment one definitely does want to continue to take. But other than that, to refrain from intoxicants. And, of course, you know, there are substances that we take, and there's also a way that we try to intoxicate ourselves or entertain ourselves when nothing much else is happening. So to refrain from this way of intoxicating ourselves as well. Yeah. Um, may we look into ourselves during this week with clarity of mind. May we look into ourselves during this week with warmth of heart. And may we share this clarity of mind and warmth of heart with all beings. Would you like to stand up and just take a little bit of a stretch, and then we'll have a short sitting? Um, many of you have been traveling for some time, so um, we'll have a short sitting and then, and then bedtime. Finding a comfortable posture for yourself. Allowing the spine to be upright, to be straight, without being tense or stiff in any way. Tucking the chin in just a little bit. Beginning this sit by relaxing your body, 
Allowing your body to be as relaxed as is possible. Bringing the attention to your eyes and softening your eyes. Relaxing your face, your facial muscles. Softening the face. Allowing the shoulders to drop. Softening the chest area. Allowing for a receptivity in the chest area. Softening the diaphragm. And particularly, letting go of your belly. Letting the belly soften and drop. Not holding it in, pushing it out. Belly as it is from moment to moment. Simply sensing that you're sitting, being aware of sitting, being aware of being in this environment, in this room with others around us. And beginning to Experience the breathing, feeling the breath in your body, in the nose or the chest or the belly, wherever you'd like, wherever it's easiest to feel the breathing, wherever the breath is most predominant, easy to be in contact with. Find out for yourself What is best for you? Calmly and clearly experiencing the sensations of the breath from moment to moment and sustaining your attention on the breath sensations. Aware of this in-breath and this in-breath only, aware of this out-breath, and this out-breath only. When you find yourself elsewhere, simply to register where you are. No. Acknowledge, be aware, and then open to the breath sensations once again.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.